Hey there, welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. My name is Sophia Kayafis. I'm Marshall Jones. And we're here with our producer. Tun Miai. So the Art Grind is run by three artists that are living in New York City. And this is being recorded on the fly in between all of our jobs. We use this podcast to ground us in a space where there's so many ways to, to kind of lose yourself. Thriving as an artist in New York City is tough. That's why we find it important to make time to have conversations with the artists we admire. So listen in as we learn about their lives and their studio practice. Over drinks. Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. I'm sitting here with Mr. Marshall Jones. Jones, what's your middle name? Huh? What's your last name and your middle name? Well, that's confusing because my first name is David. Uh Uh-oh. My middle name is Marshall. And my last name is Jones. Oh, for God's sakes. One of this those. is David. David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see you as a David. Yeah, probably. You are a David. Come Look at that nose. David. Come on. You got, you're a David. You're a David. <laughs> you got a good nose, man. You have a strong nose. You have a nice jaw, too. That's a David thing. Oh, so today... We are interviewing Risha Pearl Mutter. Risha Pearl Mutter. Risha Pearl Mutter. Basically, I know her from the academy. She's an academy person. But she also, I think, didn't she go to another art school before that? We're going to find everything out. out. She's about to walk through the door, everybody. Uh Uh-huh. We've been talking, Marshall and I have been talking. We have a really amazing upcoming... uh, group of people coming for you this this summer yes we have it all laid out summer's going to be very happy in no order in particular we have ali benny sadar will be on the show michael glass uh-huh nick holliber kyle yep. staver uh-huh and anastasia tarasenko very good pronunciation i hope so there she is so okay. how we usually start is just like questions about you, where you grew up, what the blah, blah, blah. Tell us a little backstory. Your bio, yeah. A little studio little, stuff course. type thing. Who is Raisha Perlmutter? Who is Raisha Perlmutter? What? Yeah. <laughs> what a question. I um, was born on May 21st, 1990. I am a Gemini uh, Taurus cusp, <laughs> in case you're curious. What, what are the attributes of that? I don't even know. Uh, stubborn and indecisive. That's oh. like me in a nutshell. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do, but I also don't know what to do ever. <laughs> we sort of just saw that come in with the three questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very stubborn and hard headed, but I also am like I get so excited about everything that I can never, uh, I never know quite which direction to go. Also, it's my birthday. I'm gonna happy my, birthday. Got, well, not yet, but I got my first gray hair yesterday. Did Congratulations! You really? Yeah, that's good. Monumental. I feel like it's like the rite of passage. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. This is a great way to start this podcast. That's a little bit about me. I'm 20, going to be 29, and I got my first gray hair. Beautiful. Such is life. (laughs) So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Florida. Florida? Where in Florida? On the West Coast, Naples, Florida. 
Oh, my, I have family in Naples right now, and every time I go to visit them, I'm like, this is the fucking life. Naples on the yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. It's so lovely. Tr- trying to figure out like, on this podcast how much I can really say about it. It's it's a strange ranger place. It's Tell like me. A, Tell us. It's like a warp zone of culture. Yeah, yeah. I I think I really resonate with, um, like, I grew up and I was just, like, a very odd I would say comparative to most kids, but not really. I actually just loved being outside. Like every memory I have was very much revolving around, Mm. I think like just the environment there. So having hurricanes and then having these huge thunderstorms in the summer. Thunderstorms rule down there. Yeah. And like we used to wake up early in the morning and go on the boat from Naples and go all the way down to the Florida Keys and just go fishing. So like my idea of growing up in Florida was very much based around nature, which obviously affects my work um so my like fixation with florida is nothing to do with like palm trees and old people (laughs) it's Uh more it's more about just like a color like feeling vocabulary that i think i developed they but they have a very specific kind of sunshine there yeah the light's really specific it's very warm and and the humidity is like where people they're just running until they run out of room and they end up in Florida. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or ooh, cheers to me. <laughs> um, yeah, or it's like they don't feel like I don't know. Maybe they don't feel like being cold anymore. Yeah. How do you like being cold in New York City? I don't mind the weather. I think what I'm the only thing that gets me almost every day is the fact that I just have this insatiable urge to just this is going to sound really weird. Just like to get totally naked and roll around in dirt because I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's like this concrete and I feel like everything is so curated and structured and it's almost like this frenetic energy, which I love that part of me just feels like, ah, I don't want responsibility. You know, I just want to be a kid and I just want to feel the earth and not worry about paying my bills and my career. I just want to yeah. like make art and mm-hmm. be naked. <laughs> Uh-huh. This is going to be a hell of a podcast. <laughs> We're starting off to a really good start. I love it. <laughs> I, I just want one one more detail about your bio. When mm-hmm. you're growing up in Florida, what's what's a day in the life of like high school for Raisha Perlmutter? Oh, you should What ask, is that? What was that? high school teachers. Well, I was, um, I was kicked out of the art department in high school. Kicked? Yeah, I wasn't allowed in the art room. Oh, no. Really? Why? Because I was a pain in the ass. I <laughs> I couldn't... People tried to tell me what to do, and I refused to listen. Stubborn. Um, And I told... Actually, this is terrible. <laughs> but I told the teacher that she was doing her perspective wrong. She was teaching perspective. And she was literally... <laughs> she was not teaching it... Like, it was very clearly wrong. And I'm looking, like, this isn't right. And she, uh, she didn't like me very much. Um... <laughs> He used to tape like the the faucet, and then it used to explode all over. It wasn't nice, but she anyway. So I got kicked out of the. Was art it like department. a public a public school art department? Or was it like a private? It was a private school. So it was like the people in those art classes they took it pretty seriously, or um, were they I don't just know. in there? Well, it was like this. It was a strange thing where I was like really I was very emotional about it because I I sort of always knew that I wanted to paint. It wasn't. Right wasn't a question like I was always just like the the artist of my class like it was Raisha Raisha was the artist and then you know you had your athlete like I was just always the artist right right Uh so uh I mean I I didn't really even think about it and I had this teacher 
who taught me from maybe from like second grade up until high school. And then he ended up having to leave because he got this amazing job at uh, Universal Studios to or something or like Disney to design something. Oh, wow. So he ended up moving and I felt it was very odd. I felt really uh, I felt really abandoned, not by him, but I just felt really sad because I think that I had sort of made him into this father figure of of like this this freedom like you you can do this I'm allowing you to do this where I felt like nobody else really understood how much I loved art so when he left Mm -hmm. I think I lashed out because I just felt really alone Mm -hmm. so that was probably why I was like a shitty student Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so I got kicked out I actually ended up making my entire portfolio outside of school I used to go to figure drawing all the time I loved I mean I've always loved it so I I just I was sort of independently driven not because I had to be because it was what I love. So I used to go to figure drawing at night mm. after like, like nude figure drawing as a, as a, yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. I had this huge, uh, newsprint, you know, cause you're in high school and art supplies were expensive and I didn't, you know, so I just had like this huge thing of, of crappy paper and somebody bought me a bunch of charcoal and I used to just go and draw and nobody told me how to do it, but it was really mm. Cathartic. So mm-hmm. I used to do that to tell you about my life in high school. No, and that's then, really good. I love hearing. Well, who that who stuff. let you? Because that's an interesting question. Because I, I any time I've had a few parents like sign permission slips to let younger yeah. kids into these figure drawing classes. But I remember I was way underage doing that in in Atlanta growing up, mm-hmm. and I would never let up. 15 year old come in and figure draw who's like letting you do this i think i wasn't 50 i think i was about 16 when i started naples is small and um i don't i don't there was like no stopping i know that sounds really i was like a bulldozer i was like mm-hmm. i'm gonna i want to paint and, and, your, and your parents yeah. were good with this oh my parents i mean my dad i truthfully like i grew up naked most of my life Huh. Which is why I'm like so unfazed by I think like bodies and nudity. Like okay. it was never a thing for me. My, you know, I think also probably coming from a medical a medical family, like like nothing was a thing. Like it just was a body. And I think my, you know, my grandparents were the, my, on my dad's side. They, it was everybody was just very open. So huh. it was never a thing of like, oh my god, this is a nipple, and then there's a breast. It's sort of like, yeah, I have a body. So do you? What's What's the issue? Do you have siblings? I have a brother, yeah. Is he older than you? He's older. He's almost two years older. Okay. Are you close with him? Um, Yeah, he he and I are pretty... We're very strangely similar and very different. He's older than me. He he went the medical route, actually. Uh, He lives in Portland, Oregon, though, so it's funny. He he was very, (laughs) like... It's in Portland? Yeah, it's so funny. (laughs) He's, like, he was always so structured, and then... He, like, made these decisions to sort of break himself out of his structure. He loves... My brother is really quirky and weird mm. and loves Portland. He's funny. So, yeah, he's on the other coast. He's but your cool. your family was, like, doctors? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like every medical Yeah, my dad's... Minds. Yeah, like, all neurosurgery, neurology. That's oh, so cool. really? Yeah, so that was a big thing for me, I think. That's uh, the big one. What, what It was, like, this decision of, you know, do I... I actually love medicine. If I could have done anything else, I definitely would have been um, some probably type of like transplant surgeon. I I love, I can, I just, I love it. I'm so interested in it. I think that's why I love painting bodies. But Mm. I just remember 
thinking, you know, what, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a doctor and have constant money? Is that my purpose? Like, Mm -hmm. will that make me that much happier because I'll have stability or do I just want to make art and just work really, really hard and make it work? Do you, do you ever regret that decision? I don't regret it a moment in my life ever, but I always knew, like I had really crappy times in my life. I think when I was in college and I was in really tough places of trying to find, you know, my identity and feeling like so much of my identity had to reside with um, this idea of success. I think that we're sort of, it's like implanted in us from the moment that, you know, we start school. What what makes you successful? what, What doesn't make you successful? And I think, especially in Western culture, success is sort of parallel to financial stability. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So I was basically like, I feel like I'm having to make the decision that looked externally like, am I choosing to be, you know, an artist that's insufficient because that is sort of the nature of being an artist is that you never have stability or do I want to go into something that I don't completely believe in? And I, I was like, why do I have to choose? Why can't I go into something that I believe in and find stability in it? <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. what I tried to do. It's an interesting word, stability, yeah. How do, you, how do you feel like you found stability in it? Um... I think that's a really complicated question. I think that the stability has come mostly through a lot of introspection and a lot of, I think, heartache and and, um, just sort of pushing myself every day to overcome fear. I think, you know, being in grad school at the academy, you know, you wonder, is somebody going to accept your work? And when I was at the academy, people were just like, what what are you doing? You know, everybody just like pushed me to the side. And I think at at that time, I felt really attacked and... Like very, but I think that these things in terms of success, they push you to believe in yourself. And I think that actually is where the stability comes from. It comes from this internal um, belief system that you cultivate that doesn't come from external validation and that you just have to learn how to really believe in your purpose and your work. And even if your work doesn't sell, you know, or things aren't great, that you have to know on this very profound level that that you're honoring what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that is like this profound fundamental idea of stability. And then from that sense of purpose, you know, financial, everything else is secondary. And it sort of stems out of a knowingness of self. Mm -hmm. Um, We were, we were wondering um, if you could answer this question, what is something that your work, your art, this, this choice that you've made to follow art, Something that it's given you and something that it's taken away. That's a really good question. Well, we've, we've been, we've <laughs> so been planning for you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> better answer this one carefully. What has my art given and taken? Thou giveth and thou taketh away. <laughs> Just like the good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> art is like God. Um, I think my art has forced me to do a lot of self-work. Of things that I think it's a lot people can just sort of like push under, you know, the carpet. I think it makes me look at things that I don't necessarily want to, but I think ultimately that makes me a better artist because I know myself better and the parts of myself that I don't necessarily like, I have to sit with them because when you're painting and even when you're not painting, I think when you're in this place of creation that you have to be, um, I, I believe this at least for myself, that even when I'm walking down the street in New York and I see light hitting a building and it's beautiful, that there is this... Um, openness of your senses that you have to be aware of so many things and that comes from 
not judging. You know, if you have a perception of what something is and you can't really see it, you can't see the co- like if you're painting, you know, from life and you're trying to find a color, it's really hard to find it if you have an idea that an orange is orange. You're never going to paint that orange if it's in blue light. Mm-hmm. It's going to change mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So I think art's given me the ability to actually like see the world, if that makes sense. See the world more so for what it is as opposed to for what I want it to be or how I want to see it. That's beautiful. And what yeah, has it I taken th- away? Go ahead. Yeah. What has it taken away? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember a time in my life where I felt like I didn't have my art. Like my, my art, I think of, you know, we want to ascribe ourselves characteristics or personalities. And I think that's crazy because, you know, we're always changing. But I do think if I had a personality, it would it's like intrinsic to who I am is my art. So I don't know if it's taken away. It's who I am. And mm. I just think the closer that I come mm. to being who I am, the more I, my art, it's like this cyclical thing, but I don't think it really has taken anything. Maybe it's taken away. Um, me having like a white picket fence and, uh, I don't know. I want a dog, so I can't say <laughs> because I can still get one. Art took your dog <laughs> yeah. away? No, art doesn't take it. I think art only gives, and I think it gives in ways that people don't necessarily always want. Art makes us see things that aren't always uh, easy. Mm-hmm. And then art also gives us beauty. I mean, you think of color and everything, so I, I don't know how to answer that question. I love that you just said that. Um, you mentioned beauty. And I was talking with Marshall. I was looking through your website and noticed that I, I couldn't locate your artist statement. I just removed it by mistake. Okay. I'm technologically challenged. Okay, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was reading this book by Khalil Gibran called The the Prophet. You ever mm. read that? No. It's really good. You should read it. Everybody, you should read it. Um, mm-hmm. I was hoping I could read you a couple statements from that. And if you could that. react to that. Because beauty is, it seems like it's definitely part of what you're thinking about when you're painting. Yeah. Okay. Um, Where shall you seek beauty and how shall you find her unless she herself be your way and your guide? Um, Should I read the whole thing? Got to get a little more context. The grieved and the injured say beauty is kind and gentle, like a young mother half shy of her own glory. She walks among us. And the passionate say, no, beauty is a thing of might and dread, like the tempest. She shakes the earth beneath us and the sky above us. And the tired and weary say, beauty is a soft whispering. She speaks in our spirit. And her voice yields to our silences like a faint light that quivers in fear of shadow. And the restless say, we've heard her shouting among the mountains, and with her her cries came sound the hooves, the sound of hooves and the beating of wings and the roaring of lions. Anyway, it goes on. The winter say, the people, the watchmen say this, all this, and he says, um, yet in truth you spoke not of her, but of needs unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. All these things you said of beauty, but in truth, you spoke of her, not of her, but of needs unsatisfied. And beauty is not a need, but an ecstasy. It's not a mouth thirsting nor an empty hand stretched forth, but rather a heart inflamed, a soul enchanted. So it's not the image you would see or the song you would hear, but rather an image you see though your eyes are closed and a song you hear that you shut your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah, it goes <laughs> no on. But like that that's <laughs> probably what makes the most sense of that. And I was yeah. just wondering like what what does it make you think of? Makes me think that in that description it sort of seems like beauty is dictated by desire. What I mean what what he was saying mm. I think in the beginning that so many of us 
seek beauty in the things that we want, but not in the things I think that we need. Uh, and I think that it, beauty is sort of like if you break it down like the way you break down the word love. If you look at the Greek um, idea of love, you have like agape. You have all these different, you know, it's such a, obviously you would know. Like what we, I think we take this word love, for example, or beauty, mm. and we try to like put it into this box. It's many, many. It's, but it's so many, complex. It's yeah. many, many things. So I do think that the word beauty is really, um, you have to define what it means to you and I think that's the first thing. Um, and then I obviously have my own opinion of what I think beauty is. And I yeah, think, what is that? I think beauty is all of those things. I think beauty is a thing that is beyond uh, desire. Beauty is a thing that connects us to something that's bigger than, uh, than, than, uh, I don't know how to, it's so, it's so hard to describe. I think and that's why we paint. It's sort of like the sublime. It, it's like you hear a song and how do you, how do you put into words, what something sounds like how do you describe saltiness you know it it's something that's beyond uh it's beyond words it's really about taking all of these experiences i think of of emotions and memories and dna and they all sort of converge in this place of of no judgment and it's really about feeling not just on a physical level but on an emotional level on a metaphysical level on a psychological and spiritual level that everything sort of converges into this moment and then you feel and you feel without judgment. I think that's what I think about as beautiful. And I think that that feeling isn't necessarily happy or sad or all these, all these words that, you know, I think that that author was describing of what somebody desires. I think that again takes this, you know, existential idea of uh, that's boundless and it sort of brings it into our mind of how we want to understand and dictate things with, with confines, but the truth is beauty is, is, is without boundaries. Beauty is the connection of everything mm. for me. That's mm. what I think it is. Hmm. <laughs> and I mean, when you, in terms of like your imagery, you use water a lot mm-hmm. and you use bodies, you use water and bodies yeah. in many different ways. So how does the water speak to that? You know, this is this is an interesting side note, but it's actually not a side note. I just came from the academy mm. because I'm doing a mentorship program. So I'm the mentor of a student that I got to pick that's about to graduate. Oh, cool. I chose Spiros. Oh, Spiros! Oh, I great. love him. He's so sweet. And so I didn't know I didn't know anything about any of the student work and they sent me this portfolio of all these students that applied and mm. I got to choose you know, I don't know, there's probably 30 or 40 students and I have to choose one based on their statement and their work. And Mm -hmm. don't tell anybody at the Academy, but they're probably going to listen to my (laughs) podcast. Uh, I actually didn't read any of the statements on purpose because I really wanted to have um, this sort of reaction to the work from a very just reactive. Yeah. Yeah. That I I didn't want it to be about what they were thinking, that I just wanted to see it. And immediately I saw his work and it stood out to me. It just completely resonated with me, mm. even though it's very, very different from my work. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. And so it was so fascinating today meeting him for the first time and being in his studio and he started talking about his work and sort of bodies and, and his desire for abstraction and the known and the unknown mm. and and the idea of having different layers and and mirrors and memories. It was really, really fascinating. I mean, I'm doing probably a terrible job talking about no, it. No, I think you're hitting all the marks. Yeah. But he's talking, and 
it was literally like a mirror for myself where I'm thinking this is so ironic that I'm supposed to be here mentoring him and his work is so beautiful and it's so conceptually similar to my work that that's Mm. probably why I gravitated towards it that it's this need of of sort of of this reconciliation of of what a body is and what like being alive is and and all these and death and all these things that he was talking about so I guess to go back in a roundabout way to answer my question or your question about why I paint water I think it's because Water for me is this weird, like primitive, fundamental place that we can all sort of respond to. And that it, especially the underwater stuff or the coming up for air, that it really teeters on this moment of, of death and life. And then you talk about beauty. And I think in, I mean, this is going to sound really philosophical, but I think in how we perceive everything around us, especially as painters, that there is a necessity for duality. And I think what I mean by duality is you can have like orange, but if you have orange next to a blue, they feel much more, you know, the orange feels really, really orange as opposed to just having orange by itself. And Mm -hmm. to understand black or darkness, you have to understand light. There has to be this communication. And I think Mm. water is this really beautiful thing to talk about beauty where it's sort of teetering on this edge of life and death at the same time. So I think I'm drawn to it because of that. I think I'm also drawn to it because of the inherent abstraction that happens with water, where it's, uh, it's, it is the epitome of the idea of being boundless. It's about Mm. connection. And I think when you're in water, it's almost like you're weightless and all these rules of gravity or physicality sort of go away. And that also, you know, the way that light interacts in water is really fascinating where it abstracts everything and you have these incredible light refractions on your body and you become less concerned about, you know, an arm having a certain form. And instead you just see this, it's like capillaries of light that are constantly moving. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question. We were talking, somebody wrote you a direct message and they asked us to ask you about motion. Your work is about water. Like you're saying it's Mm -hmm. flowing it's moving, um, it's transitional, it's about the light refracting. At the same time, you're using photography, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. kind of freezing the moment. It's kind yeah. of making it like it's not moving. Yeah. So how do you deal with that contradiction? Are you, what are you thinking about? Well, I think whether you... it's photography or painting, um, that there's not really a contradiction that there is this inherent thing that happens because I paint a lot from life. I, I should probably paint from life now more than I do from photo. But I think regardless of whether you're painting from photo or from life, what you're doing is you're basically taking a moment and you're solidifying it forever, a moment that will never be there again. So it doesn't matter whether the lens of a camera captures something or your eyes capture an experience of a moment that you remember. The point is, is that because of entropy and time and life, everything is always changing. And there is a really fascinating, I think, contradiction of uh, taking something that inherently is moving and in motion, whether it's water or life or anything, and freezing it. How about the application? Mm-hmm. I feel like the, your application, it seems like you're painting wet into wet most of the time, possibly. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like that would lend itself to that feeling of motion, the viscosity of the paint kind yeah. of being like this buttery, because you have a really beautiful touch. You graduated a year before me, mm-hmm. and I remember watching you paint all of these amazing images and I was like she can fucking paint she doesn't care how to she can hold a brush you know like she's a painter and like that comes across in these as well even though they're I think these have more 
thickness to them yeah. like in terms of like imagery than when you were experimenting at school you were you were kind of you were i think you were keeping them a little there. bit more thin well, i was doing everything i was throwing medium on there i had marble i had everything yeah you did the meat and you did the the eyes yeah. i remember this it was all about like body and and basically the breaking down and abstraction with natural imagery and actually i just released it's taken me six months to finish but i just released a three hour i don't know it's like an instructional documentary I guess but I think I wanted to demystify the reason I did it really was because I wanted to demystify my painting that I felt like because of Instagram um people may have thought that you know like I I'm like a paint by number because of I think maybe what the image looks like at the end and that I felt like people didn't actually I didn't care if they saw me but they didn't actually see the work and the work is about the freedom and so for the first time ever I've showed in this video from the very beginning to the very end and what you see in the beginning and most of the painting until you know this is actually the painting that you're looking at it's this painting mm-hmm. is that it falls apart so many times I mean there's no rule I go to a hardware store this is what I normally do and I buy the shittiest brushes and there's and halfway through my painting I'm just I don't even know what I'm doing and the handle of this two dollar brush falls off so I'm just painting with the bristles and then I want to do hair and I didn't clean any of my brushes so I ended up just getting scissors and cutting off these hard bristles off of a a paintbrush that I used to paint my wall with and that and that's how I painted the hair and I think the point of all of that that I wanted to show people number one was that I wasn't even conscious of how I was painting and number two it's this idea of continuing to force myself to break down any rules I have because it is about the the quality and the the sort of entropy I guess of of paint and the medium and the consistency of it you know you use a lot of turp and it bleeds and it bubbles and then you use a lot of flake white and there's literally a weight to the lead on your painting and Mm -hmm. it's not just about having an image that's flat that looks like a photograph because I actually don't even care about that what I care about which is really hard you know to communicate through an image through social media is that there is an incredible I guess for me painterly quality to my work and Mm -hmm. the, the process and the the bleeding and the losing and finding of edges and textures and surfaces and transparencies and opacities that are very much more painterly I guess than rendered that's why I think I'm an artist and I think I obviously you know I, I know how form and light and all these very formal qualities work but I don't think that's what makes me a good artist I think what makes me a good artist is this thing that I've had my whole life which is this need to explore without boundaries I think that's why I paint it's not Mm -hmm. to make a perfect image and Mm -hmm. that's why I guess when people ask me you know have you always known that you're an artist and a painter it's such a funny question because it's like people ask you what is an artist or what is a doctor or what is a healer or what is a teacher and it's not this like myopic thing it's this it's you know you talk about beauty it's this expansiveness Mm. and it's not really just about this result it's actually about the way of seeing and the way of learning and the way of of pushing yourself to be uncomfortable in whatever in whatever way you want to it's beautiful Mm. so this video you feel like you had to reveal something to to an audience through it i didn't feel like i had to i wanted to because i wanted I think there's a funny thing that happens on Instagram where um, people sort of respond to whatever, whether it's like fashion people or painters and stuff that they only see the final image. But 
mm-hmm. it almost becomes it's a blip. not human. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'll never, I could never do that. And I think I wanted to do this because, because anybody can do, I, I actually believe that it's, it's not this like mythical thing that I'm a painter. The thing that makes me a painter is me continuing to make mistakes throughout my painting. And that's what I wanted to show people because I actually feel like that's the inspirational part. It's not the final painting. It's, it's the process. And when people ask me all the time, you know, how do you do it? What's, if you could give me one piece of advice, you know, I think they're probably looking for what's your light value and what is your dark value or how do you mix a flesh tone or whatever that means. And, and I feel like all of that is not actually the answer that the, the best piece of advice I could give anybody, which I wanted to show without words. Because I think that, of course, I think that, you know, visual language is incredibly powerful. I wanted to show people the necessity to make mistakes. And that's how you actually learn how to see. And that would be my, my answer of how I paint. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, makes that sense. makes sense. It's It's a tricky time with social media and that sort of thing like uh, uh hours being boiled into some quick image that really no one cares much about it's just yeah. on your way to flipping through exactly and and then it's like it does kind of bring it up a question like what are we doing on there are we just looking to be seen and acknowledged or are we actually sharing art on those things? and are we look exactly and i was thinking about that a lot why why do i paint and why do i share it on social media is it to get recognition and then i mean i did a lot of <laughs> i did a lot of introspection this year just with my own personal stuff and i think that i had this moment where i was just like if any part of me is doing this for recognition it negates why i paint hmm. and i'm actually doing this not for recognition but i'm doing this to communicate something that i believe in that I think everybody has their own experiences of their life, of beauty or whatever that is. But that mm-hmm. maybe if I'm authentic with my word and my painting, that that's actually when I can communicate. And that's when yeah. people can communicate with everybody else, that they'll have a response to my painting and something on a on a level, you know, in their, in their body that they Keep can't necessarily bring into words that they react to it. And then and, and maybe in a tiny way that they become more connected with themselves and then they live a more fulfilled life and then everybody else lives a more fulfilled life because there's people that are conscious. And I think that that was this really important moment that I, I had probably in October where um, I didn't really post a lot on Instagram. And I would, I think not because I was trying to react to it, but because I realized that part of my uh, part of my fire, I think, got burnt out of trying to give people what I thought they wanted. Mm-hmm. And that I... I felt like I lost my my love or I didn't allow myself to create the way I wanted to, which was really painting from life. And so I spent hours. I mean, I was in the most like I still sort of am. I just don't really talk about it. I've been doing crazy experimental stuff. I was staying up till six o'clock in the morning with powdered charcoal and powdered graphite. And I was using I was using acetone and then I, and I was like, well, I don't want to use acetone. It smells bad. I started painting with a paintbrush with gin and then I started using vodka just to see how it manipulates. <laughs> and it was so experimental. And then I think what happens is that you don't know what's going to happen. And there's these beautiful surfaces. And I think mm-hmm. that that mystery is what keeps us, you know, engaged with art. Absolutely. I think that, but do, do you feel that all this reflection you're doing and, progress 
do you worry that that you'll lose people's attention off that? Because that doesn't seem, that path doesn't seem like what gets rewarded out there. Yeah. No, I, I think about that a lot. And I think I had to do a lot of work trying to reconcile whether or not my work before. I think in the beginning when I started making my work, it was actually because I graduated from the academy and I moved back to Florida. And I just, I really needed to do a lot of healing. I think literally I had reconstructive shoulder surgery, but also I had to do a lot of healing from my childhood and just how I saw my life. And for me, that meant being in the water. I was literally in the water floating all the time because my shoulder hurt so much. And then Mm -hmm. I was also going into these memories of just being in water and just having wonder, having wonder without confines of being able to like look at light and color and just feeling like I was part of something bigger. And that feeling Mm -hmm. was really healing and really exciting. And it was almost this like meditation where, you know, my eyes are always closed that I'm doing this inward thing. And I think I, I had this feeling that, um, last year where I was like, I, I actually want to open my eyes. Like I'm literally ready to open my eyes now. And I started painting myself as dumb as it sounds with my eyes open, not consciously, but because I needed, it was like this subconscious desire to, to get out of this dream state and, and to be here and to play with materials and to feel the physicality of the pain again and to work with different things and be like, I'm, I'm here. And so I, I think that happened. And I was wondering, you know, is my imagery really in alignment with what I'm doing? Uh, Hmm. And I, I, I've thought about this a lot, like every moment of my day <laughs> since October, well, most of my life. And I love water. I don't think necessarily it's that my, my imagery has to be completely different. I think it's more about me. It's more about the feeling of water and the feeling of paint and that maybe I don't necessarily always want these like beautiful, bright turquoises, but, or something that even feels like life. I think I, what I really want is to have things feel like light Hmm. and that color is way more expansive when we break what we think about light and that the photo reference can be incredibly suffocating. I think that's why I really wanted to start painting again from life was Mm -hmm. because I, it's like I woke up and I was like, I refuse to paint from a photograph for a a long time. Hmm. And I literally started seeing the world differently. I like Hmm. looked around and I started seeing color and it was really exciting. And then when I did go back to using a, a photo reference and then, simultaneously painting from life I noticed that my ability to use a photo reference was completely transformed where yeah. it was really just a, a recommendation of what color should be but it wasn't this you know adhered to these are the rules you have mm-hmm. to copy this mm-hmm. and that so many times I believe this firmly that when we recognize what feels like life uh, it's not actually photorealism that that you know, you look outside and you see the sun setting. Exactly. There's all these color vibrations that happen that a, that a camera can't optically pick up, but we feel it and we know it. And the second that we push ourselves in every moment of our day to really look at color and light around us, that's when we become way better painters because then we can actually look at the photograph and compensate for what the photograph can't do. And then it then the painting ends up feeling more lifelike. I like think. human, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully said. I have to use the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> we're sorry we took a little side note <laughs> tangent but we're back well i have a question what what do you feel like you're making the imagery you were born to create do you feel like you've you do that do you have i was born to create so i think that's a funny question because i don't know if i'm making imagery that i was born to create i don't know if there's like a purpose that way if the imagery was meant to be i think 
the imagery, the only thing that would make it meant to be would be that it would be a reflection of where I was at, at whatever point of my life that I was at, which isn't like this inherent birthright. You know, my, my paintings are about whatever I'm going through in my life when I'm going through it. They're a very human thing. There's no like, you were born to make paintings like this. For sure. That's worded casually. Like, do you, do you feel like Like I was meant to paint women in water? For example? No, my answer is no. If that's no, no, no. Yeah. For, <laughs> I'm doing a really bad job answering this question. <laughs> I'm just, okay, let's rephrase it. If you had one painting that you would say epitomize your body, your, your, all your work, like what means you and one that you would throw out the window right now. So two separate paintings, which ones would they be? What, what, what kind of question is that? One, one that yeah, defines no, you it. as a painter and one you would just throw out the window. You just can't yeah, yeah. believe it. I think maybe maybe those things would be the same painting, you know, as crazy as that sounds. Ooh, that's huh. good. That I think I like would be the it. same painting. So which one would it be? I don't know. Maybe all of them. Okay. I think, okay. I think every single painting that I make is a reflection of me in that moment. And if it's a painting that I feel like I'm really adhere to the photograph in a way that makes me feel not like a painter anymore. That's clearly comes from an insecurity of what I'm feeling of, of maybe fear of not making money or whatever. And that's actually what I'm feeling in the moment. Even if I hate the painting, it's still very reflective of who I am. So I, I don't know, you know, it's a really complicated thing. I don't think there's like one singular painting that is me. Every painting that I make is a reflection of me in the moment that I make it. Mm-hmm. So there's no winning painting. I think yeah, I guess that's what I think. Mm, that's mm. a great answer. And then I can I can go back and look at all of my work that I've ever made, whether I was two or twelve or twenty two, and I see it not as good or bad. I see it as uh, a visual reflection of a moment in my life and where I was. Mm. So it's hard to judge it as being like one I want to throw out mm. or keep because it's like, do you really want to throw out your experiences and what you've been through and what you've dealt with? That's how I feel about it too. Yeah. Is that, is that an, is that answer the question? Such a great answer. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many people do want to throw out sections of their life, you know? Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Uh huh. I've burned a lot of my work and slashed a lot of my work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh, Because I think the feeling of one of two things, I think it's either, I feel like this also answers your question. It comes from this thing of feeling like I'm not good enough that, that I'm not happy with my work and I'm not good enough and I'm not, like the the ideal that I have of success or whatever I want, I'm not achieving it and it makes me frustrated. Or I feel like I maybe make work that is really great and it's so formulaic and predetermined that it's not me and that makes me equally frustrated. Mm-hmm. And it makes me, makes me feel like I've lost myself and I think that the feeling, that would be where I would want to throw something out the window. But I don't think I would throw anything out the window. I think I would just ruin it. Slash it. Yeah, and I think that that feeling would come from me feeling like I am no longer in communication with myself in whatever way that is. That the work is no longer reflective of me, and then I don't want to have it around. Mm. But any work that's me is what I want to look at. Yeah, Mm. it's like that quote from Thelonious Monk that is like, genius is getting... As close to yourself as you can yeah. is his Being as comfortable with yourself as you can be. 
Well, it doesn't say comfortable. I mean, just as close. Like, I think if you're really close to yourself, you're pretty uncomfortable with that person. <laughs> I thought it was being the most comfortable with yourself is what makes you a genius. I've heard that one. No, I, I would disagree with that. I would say it's getting as close to who you really, uncom- discomfort and all. Sitting with an, un, you know, your per- yourself. So, it, but in your life, Rasha, you have achieved. I'm freaking out. Yes. It seems like you're someone who has sort of, you know, like there are kids on Instagram who are like, oh man, I want to be like that. Like you've kind of achieved something. You could say you've achieved your dreams in in a lot of ways. Like what, what does that? Maybe. Right. You've achieved a lot of people's dreams. Yeah, I guess in a, a very like linear way. I guess maybe in some way I feel like I've achieved part of my dreams, but I think what I actually might, if the question could be, you know, what is your dream? Like, what is your life dream or what is a goal that you have in your life? I don't think mine is really dictated by at least anymore. I think when I was younger and I was not exactly sure who I was, like, maybe I know a little bit more who I am now and I felt obligated to perform so that people gave me credibility for who I was as a human. And somehow I equated success and validation with me being okay to be alive and like be on this planet, which is a whole other thing. I think that has a lot to do with my work. Um, and that I think the second or not, it wasn't the second it's been, you know, my life's journey of trying to consciously understand that and feel that and realize that that my dreams can't be about uh, an external validation or, or perception of success of, of a gallery show or of selling my work for a certain amount of money that my dream is to be as honest with myself as possible and that make that my work is a reflection of that honesty so I think that my dreams have changed a lot mm-hmm. and I think my other dream is like to be to be fearless enough to be okay with that even if it doesn't result in you know what we perceive as success and I think in some crazy you know new age way of thinking I actually believe that the more you are in alignment in in alignment with your with your truth I hate how that sounds because it sounds really stupid but the more that you're in alignment with uh what's real you know that an orange isn't always orange. Maybe it's you can actually see the orange for what it is and not judge it. The more that you see yourself that way and the more you allow yourself and love yourself for everything that you are, uh, that's actually when things start unfolding. And I think about, you know, my career or whatever that is and this idea of success. I think it's really ironic that when I was at the academy, um, you know, I, I really wanted, I really wanted validation. I think I wanted it from, from everybody. I think I wanted it from, you know, my parents, from my family, from my friends. I wanted people to see that I was a painter because I was a painter and I never got it. And I think about my whole life and I actually really never got it from anybody. I, you know, I got kicked out of the art department in high school. And then when I went to college, I was told from the chair of the art department that I wasn't allowed to be an art major. So I had to transfer and then I transferred actually to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And then I got there, which was, you know, great in its own way. But everybody was basically saying to me, painting is dead. You can't paint. Like, you you can't paint. You have to be like an installation artist or something else. Nobody paints. Hmm. And then I had that. And then 
I was like, no, I have to paint. I don't care. And then I went to the academy and I didn't, I feel like when I was at the academy, I didn't really get a lot of, you know, support. And I don't know how incredible, I just didn't have a lot of support all around. And I think I was so thirsty for this support because more than the support, I really just desired being seen Mm. for who I was. And somehow I knew I was a painter and I was an artist and I wanted people to see that. So I thought that the second that I, that they saw me as successful, then they would see me. And it, it was probably the biggest lesson of my life when I, you know, I screwed up my shoulder and I had to move back to Florida after grad school. And I was in a really, really dark place and I moved back and I sort of was just like, fuck it. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't get a residency. I was the only, one of the only students in my class that didn't get a residency. I had the worst final crit. Hmm. And, and even though I feel like so many people have, you know, stood in front of me and told me I can't do something, that in some weird way, I actually think it's like the biggest gift because I went home and I was like, the only thing that people can't take away from me is like my knowledge of who I am and I know that I'm supposed to paint. Um, and that was the first time ever where I was back and I didn't really have anything to lose. Like I had nothing to lose. I was crippled. I had to sling for six months. Huh. And that was when I started this water work because that was actually, that was actually where like my heart and my soul resonated. And it was it was this uncanny thing. I remember the first little abstract study I made and I just knew that that was me. And I mm. knew because I was listening to myself for the first time and I wasn't making something because it was supposed to be successful. I knew, I knew that everything was going to change. It was so strange. And it, and it did. And that was really this, no pun intended, like diving board, <laughs> leaping off point for me in my career. But it, that only happened because I completely relinquished myself of, of the fear of failing because I it was like, in everybody else's eyes, I've been failing for so long. I might as well just do what I want to do now <laughs> and uh, see what happens uh, because I have nothing to lose. Uh, yeah, that's something that comes up on this podcast a lot. Like you mentioned uh, being seen like it's a weird thing to put images out there that will be seen, you know, and in some way, like they'll be on a gallery wall, they'll be on social media, they'll be on this. And, and what does that validation mean to us? How does that alter the work we create? How does it, you know, fuck with us mentally as we're creating? It feels like, you know, I think about like JD Salinger when he was, uh, after he wrote Catcher in the Rye, made a billion dollars, which is great for him, but then wrote Franny and Zooey and everybody hated it. And mm-hmm. then he just took his typewriter to Vermont and just started filing stories away in a file cabinet so no one could see him, you know? There's a there's an amazing TED Talk about that, about the woman that wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. Oh, Gilbert, that? Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, and she talks about basically what happens in your life when you've reached your pinnacle, of, like you'll never write a better book. And you know that, like maybe your high point is already over. How do you, how do you go? How do you move on? I think that's a really interesting, not that I've. It's such an interesting question. But how can you still maintain meaning in your life knowing that you'll never be objectively as successful as you were with something? Well, at least not your your foreseeable future. Probably debatable. I mean, like it feels like there, there is kind of a, a mainstream that does sort of have, I don't know, misguided values on things. And Absolutely. Then, and so it's like the good stuff is generally way below that. 
But it's, uh, I mean, Franny and Zooey was a better book than Catcher of the Rye, you know? And it's like, but that's the one that gets panned, you know? It's like, so it's a fascinating uh, idea of like, how much do you, like you were saying, the schools and the this and the getting kicked out of that. How many people weaker than you would have just fallen off and been like, fuck it, I can't do this. So people are telling me, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. This is not a good answer for the podcast. Maybe it's that's okay. This, this is, but I think maybe that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the Taurus in me, where I'm like, you want to tell me not to do something? Watch me do it. Right, 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 right. And I think that the the that stubbornness is isn't great, but that I was never like, oh, watch me be successful. Well, what do you think about? <laughs> I think that I think that we should just chat now. I feel like this podcast. You're so aware that we're recording a You're podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most people forget that this is on. I'm sorry that we're making you like like self like self aware. No, no, no. I just moment. I just feel like I could I could go off on a tangent. That's a good no, tangent. No, we want for the we podcast. want tangents. We that's why we have an editor. He he listens. I mean, to we've all been doing this now. Nine, takes it out. I got here at eight thirty. We're an hour and a half in. Eight thirty nine. Yeah, we're an hour and a half in. Is there is there anything that you really want me to get into? That I haven't really covered. I asked every question that I had written down. I feel like we got a lot of good stuff. Yeah, Actually, we're good. Be, yeah. Sure. I have a new studio. Pretty excited about it. I'm happy for you. I'm on the verge of moving to mountains because I have, but I'm I'm good. You're moving gonna stay the here? I don't know. I like wake up every morning and I just want to be in the mountains every morning. Oh my god! Yeah. You're gonna leave New York? Don't leave yet. I, I haven't I seen your apartment yet. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't leave yet. I, been, I can't leave. I haven't with you yet. In other news, <laughs> this is really important for the podcast. <clears throat> I'm growing a vegetable garden. Oh. So something that people probably don't know about me is that uh, <coughs> I think that my fixation with nature and I don't know, like when I when I photograph women specifically, I think that there's such a hang up. I think that's put on women of what they should be. I think men too, but obviously I I feel like I'm a woman, so that's what I know. Um. And that's why I love this moment of of being with people and just having them literally take off their clothes, like to become naked and what that means to become naked and not wearing jewelry and not wearing makeup and not wearing all these things that like hold us in a place. I think ultimately an insecurity and not empowerment that that the second that you're just you like everything that you're born with and everything that you are in that moment that's actually when you're free and that's an amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's why I think, you know, if you could say that my work is something I would say that my work is organic in every sense of the word my work is organic in the fact that I'm using you know fundamentally organic pigments I'm using dirt you know you think of umbers and like uh-huh. you know it's like literally coming from the earth I'm literally painting with the earth and I'm painting things that um and the craziest thing even when you think about paint like you think about an umber or like raw sienna that it's it's so much bigger than you. It's like, how long did it take with geological processes to, to create this rock? You know, basically since the beginning of Earth. Like millions and millions, probably millions and millions, millions of years. Maybe not from the beginning of the Earth, but a long, a long ass time. And then you think of your lifespan and what it means to paint. And that it like forces you to realize that all the little things about your career and your success and what you want are so stupid because if you think about the philosophy 
behind or the idea how and to go back to the idea of beauty it's so beautiful to think about the fact that you're creating an image that will live probably long beyond you will and even if your image deteriorates the thing that you made it with the earth the paint that you made it with will will live on for, for way longer than you will uh-huh. and that's beautiful that you should be okay with the entropy and the deterioration not just of you but of your work but that the thing that you made it with uh-huh. the essence of what it is will will still be there just like you know the essence of you could still be there and it sort of takes away this i think this role of your ego in making work that I think I and probably most humans struggle with. How do you divorce yourself from ego and make, you know, become the authentic version of who you are? I think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's this, it's this pushing. It's almost like this meditation I have, not just in my studio, but on a daily basis where if there's any dream I have for myself, my dream is to push myself in every moment to, recognize the places where my ego is taking over and that my work is about something that like my work has to become about me but not about like my feelings or my ideas that my work has to become about this authentic moment of of feeling everything around me and recording that so that other people can feel that's why I paint that's Mm. amazing I I've been thinking a lot about ego strength recently my mother struggles with this in a huge way and I been studying a little bit of psychology trying to figure it out um just so i have a better relationship with her but i feel like it touches on this note um because we actually talk about ego a lot in this podcast Uh it's something we constantly are bringing up it's something that you just brought up now but um that ego is different it's different than ego strength um it sort of goes back to the idea of, you know, like it's Greek the, words. It's like love. Like what right. is love? There's so what many different Greek words for the word love. There's like five different words for love yeah. in Greek. Um, but ego is the prideful part of you that wants to feed this thing that... Ego is sort of like the, the limbic brain. It's this fight or flight. See me, love me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, have sex with me. I'm pretty. Uh, notice me. Give me uh-huh. validation. And then uh-huh. ego strength is what's left after afterward. It's after the after the fact. So it's in your most fragile state, in your most vulnerable state, what's left. That's your ego strength. And that's what matters. And I think that's what it takes to keep painting in the face of, you know, your own doubts and the doubts of others. And that's what it takes to express something extremely unique yeah. that's, that leaves your fingerprint. And I think everyone should, you know, read about it, what ego strength is. I, I think to go off of that, something I would like to say, which is a question I get a lot on Instagram and in emails, it's, you know, how did you find your style? That I think that there's this conception or idea that, uh, perception, that uh, style is what we should all be searching for, that we have our unique style and that's what makes us a good artist. And that that style, you know, you think of obviously like a Van Gogh and that that's his style. Uh-huh. And I think that the word style is incredibly problematic if it's not sort of broken apart. Ooh, I do too. Because it's not about style. It's about mm-hmm. that your style is a reflection of the way that you see the world. But right. the second that your ego gets in there and you're, and you're trying to find a way that your style is, you know, this way that everybody sees you, then your work isn't good, I don't think. I think so too. And I think like what's the point in style at this in this day and age, like we already had Van Gogh, Rembrandt, and de Kooning, like. But do you think that was their style, though? I think that's actually how they saw the world. That's right. Yes, how they saw the world 
in into that it's how like i don't know josh was bringing up last time on this show like there's no image anymore that's just gonna like shake the world like it's there's so much been done but you can make connections and have conversations around your your work you know yeah you know but i don't think that the 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 pursuit should be about shaking the world. Again, I think that yeah. that goes back to ego. Like, yeah. how can I do something that nobody else has done? What if I actually do... I mean, that's what. That's why I love painting. I love painting because the pursuit of making a painting is the same thing. You know, if you think if you paint with a, with a traditional palette, it's sort of like music. It's like all of these things that actually you have the same materials. You have the same vocabulary to make an image that Rembrandt had or that maybe Picasso had or that de Kooning had. But it's never going to be like them because it's your, it's the way that you see it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there is that sort of limitation, I think is incredibly interesting that it's not actually about changing the world. It's that actually, you know, everybody had a life and everybody saw their life the way that they did. And they had the same sort of similar materials. How can you make work that, that is you and that is actually going to change the world because no because you have never existed it's a weird <laughs> yeah. it's a weird way to think about it yeah yeah it's like the 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 reason that three people here paint is because we ideally would all do it different not like one one of those schools where everybody just paints the same sort of sight size model you know like the expression is so yeah. important i think that's a really interesting thing you know people ask me where would you where would you suggest I go to school? Like, if you had a recommendation for an undergraduate or a residency or an MFA, what would do you, you say? Would you recommend the academy? And the truth is, I would recommend a lot of different places. But I think that what I would recommend before you go anywhere is that you find some some moment of strength in you that you know that there's going to be a pressure to perform or to abide by a way that you know it's like to sit. Just because I was at the academy today and thinking about all the students that are there having to stand in front of everybody and sort of defend their work. You're not just defending your work. You're sort of defending your existence and the way that you see your life. And that's so hard. And mm-hmm. that, that you're, you literally have to stand in front of all these people who are, you know, who they're trying to help you with the lens that they have of how they see the world. And unless you ha- unless you're strong or you just like don't care what people think, it's tough. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And so I think something that can be a problem of any graduate school or any school in general is going somewhere and becoming so influenced by everybody around you that you lose your voice. Mm-hmm. That it's not, you know, becoming a painter, a good painter isn't becoming a master of understanding value and structure. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, if you want to paint the body or you want to paint representationally, it's really, 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 really helpful. But that's, it's not a, it's not a way to gauge how good you are. I think that how good you are is based on how authentic you are with yourself and that that authenticity is actually complicated too, because, you know, like if we're going to be honest talking about whether a painting is good or bad, I, I, you can't half-ass it. You can't not put in the time. And I think that if you put in the hours because you really believe in it, you're, you sort of are going to become a better artist versus you just being like, well, you know, if my authentic self doesn't give a fuck, like I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to be good, then you don't actually care. And it's not about the speed in which you make something. It's about the intention behind it. And if you really have the intention, I, I do sort of think that you will be a good artist if it's reflective of how you see the world. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, d- I just wanted to read this this definition of ego strength. Is that okay? 
Sure. Yeah. Ego strength refers to a cultivated resiliency of strength of our core sense of self, the extent to which we learn to face and grow from challenging events or persons in our lives in ways that strengthen our relationships with ourselves and others and enrich our lives with meaning. Our ego strength is an integral part of our psychosocial, emotional, cultural development, informs our sense of self or self-concept and relation to self and others around you. So I it's not that. about the swelling of your yeah. pride. It's yeah. it's something very, very different. And it's not about the survival mechanism. That's mm. beautiful. I think that's what we're talking about. That's yeah. and, and I think that's at the core of a really fantastic or uh, unique artist is that they f- are flexing that muscle yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I like that. Unflinchingly. <laughs> All right. Well, Raisha, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Um, thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed it tremendously. Hey, there are people giving money. True. Spirits. Spirits. Yes. Of art. Uh-huh. The art spirits. Whew. I'm someone new. Brandy Craft. Brandy Craft. Yeah. Thank you so can... much, Brandy, for making the effort. You can find her, Brandy, B R A N D Y underscore craft, K R A F T, on Instagram. How do people give us money? You go on to artgrindpodcast.com and click the button donate with PayPal and follow the instructions yeah the prompts the prompts thanks again guys stay safe out there don't get murdered that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a different podcast that's a much that's a much better podcast than ours. <laughs>